Hebrews chapter 12 this morning, and I just want you to know that this morning I am embarking on, a, in, on an insurmountable task, and that is that not only am I going to try to preach eight verses, I'm going to try to recap the entire book of Hebrews this morning. And I already know what some of you are thinking, uh, because some of you are thinking, Jordan, the last time you preached, you preached on joy. That was one word, and it still took you 45 minutes. So how do you think you can preach eight verses plus the entire book of Hebrews today? Like, don't, don't you know we have work tomorrow at 8 o'clock a.m., right? Yes, I know that you have work tomorrow at 8 o'clock, so as long as I'm done by 7.45 tomorrow, we'll be good, and you'll have plenty of time to get to work. Um, <clears throat> no, in the words of uh, Ted Neff in our uh, Core Truths class, this is what he told me a few weeks ago. He says, you've got no chance. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> but I do have a manuscript that helps me stay on task so I don't ramble. Um, and so hopefully we'll be done before tomorrow morning. <clears throat> no, but I do think in order, to, in order to understand what's going on here in, the, in, in our passage this morning, I think it's important for us to kind of take a step back and look at what, what's happening in the entire book of Hebrews to get an idea of all of this. And so one of the reasons why we do expository preaching here at Walnut Park, or in other words, we just preach through, when we're preaching, we just go through a book of the Bible and we go verse by verse through, the book, through a book of the Bible. And we've been doing that through Galatians, and then when we do communion, we also go through the book of Hebrews. And the reason we do that, one of the reasons that we do that, there's many, but one of the reasons we do that is so that we can understand what each text has to do with the whole argument of the author. So if we didn't do that, if we just like, you know, every single week we were in a different book and we're over here and then we're over there and then we're over here, then what, what can easily happen is you can start to, you can, you can take this, this passage out of its context and you might misunderstand. There's some things about that context that will help you understand that verse. And so that's why we, that's one of the reasons why we do expository preaching so that we can go verse by verse and we can understand what the author is saying as a whole. Now, one of the, the difficulties of doing Hebrews only once a month is that it's, it's hard, it could be hard for us to remember what's going on in the book because we only do it once a month. And so that's why I'd like to take some time this morning and kind of remind us, it's been a few weeks or a few months, I guess I should say, since we've been in the book of Hebrews. And so I want to remind us of what is going on here in the context. So what's the context of the book of Hebrews? So, the book of Hebrews was actually written like a sermon, almost as if you could have just, you know, stood up here and just read through the book, and that was the sermon. Okay, that's kind of how it was written, and it was written by a man na whose name was, just kidding, I'm not going to tell you who it was. Uh, I just wanted to see if any of you were like, ooh, who does he think wrote the book of Hebrews? <laughs> no, we don't actually know who, who wrote the book of Hebrews. We know it was someone who was trained by an eyewitness of the risen Lord. That's what he says in Hebrews chapter 2. But we don't know exactly who it was. We have some ideas, but we don't know who it was. But he wrote this letter, most commentators believe, to a little house church made up of Jewish Christians. In other words, people who were formerly Jews in belief. Like they believed, you know, according to, to the Old, like they believed the Old Testament, but not the New Testament, essentially. Like they, so they believed that there was going to be a Messiah, but they didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. So they were Jews, but then they became Christians. Somebody shared with them the message of Jesus, the resurrection, the gospel, and they trusted. 
and they believed, or at least most of them believed. And for a while, it seems that many of them continued in, and zealously followed Jesus for a while. Like they just, I mean, they, so they trusted Christ, they were Jews, they grew up as Jews, they became Christians, then they just zealously gave themselves to following Jesus. But at some point, for some reason, it seems, <clears throat> it seems that they had grown weary in their pursuit of Christ. And we don't know exactly the reason. It could have been several different things. It could be that they no longer were under, under the Roman protection that Jews enjoyed, because history tells us that Jews enjoyed some, some uh, specific protection under the Roman law. Maybe they didn't have that anymore, and so they were, you know, they, they, had, they had struggles then. Or it could be that, uh, that because they were no longer Jews, they were Jewish Christians, that Jews who were not Christians did not like these Jews who became Christians. They're like, you guys are traitors. You're, you're followers of a different religion. We don't like you. And so they were unkind to these Jewish Christians. So it could have been that. I mean, there's some, there's some uh, throughout the book of Hebrews, we get some kind of hints, like they, were, they had maybe experienced some imprisonment, or maybe they had just a, a, the affliction that came from people making fun of them. Or uh, it could be just many different things. But we don't know exactly why, but they, were, they had grown weary. The difficulties of life had caused in them a weariness and a struggle to continue following. They were in the middle of a faith crisis. Were they going to continue in the gospel or would they fall away? And I think this is important for us today because there are many in our congregation who have maybe recently come to know Christ. And it could be, if that's true of you, maybe you have uh, gone through an experience where you, you came to Christ and you were, for a while, you were just amazed. I mean, it's just like this, uh, you're just amazed at the fact that you are now free. You've been delivered from your sin. You found Jesus. You found life. And so at the very beginning, there's like, yes, I'm free. But maybe as the course of life has gone on, maybe you're at a spot where you're beginning to realize that the Christian life is no walk in the park. I mean, it's difficult. I mean, there are battles that go on in your heart that weren't there before you were a Christian. And it could be that as you have come to be a Christian, maybe you have received ridicule from maybe, your, maybe even family members, maybe friends, maybe coworkers, who think, what's the point of, why are you doing that? And it could be that maybe you began your, your race as a Christian, you, be, you became a Christian, you were excited about this, but now you're beginning to experience some of the difficulties of the Christian life. And, and it could be that you are tempted to ask, is this worth it? And it's not only recent believers, it's not only people who have recently come to know Jesus. Suffering and the discipline of God have a tendency to draw us to a crossroads. Am I going to cling to Jesus despite the fact that life hurts? Or am I going to give up? That's what suffering draws us to. And so this is very important for us. And it's interesting the way the author of Hebrews responds to these weary Jewish Christians. 
Because he doesn't, he doesn't just like give him a slap on the face and say, you need to do better. No. What he does is he shows that Jesus is worth it. Jesus is better than anything else. That's the message of the book of Hebrews. And so at the very beginning, he says that Jesus is the best revelation from God. He is better than the angels. He is greater than Moses. He is the greatest high priest. He ministers a much better covenant. His sacrifice is more final. And so it is worth enduring these trials because Jesus is worth it. He is better than anything else. And that brings us through Hebrews chapter 10. And then in Hebrews chapter 11, what the author does is he gives us all these pictures of people of faith who have, despite difficult circumstances, continued to run the race. They have continued, even though life was hard. And he concludes these pictures of faith with the greatest picture of faith in Jesus himself, who, despite hostility... That's what we read in verse 2 and 3. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and he is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And so that brings us up to the point of our text in Hebrews chapter 12. Okay, so I just recapped Hebrews, the whole book of Hebrews in about five minutes. Are you proud of me? <laughs> um, okay, so we made it through that far. Okay, but that brings us up to our text this morning in verse 4. Now look at verse 4, because he says something very, uh, that, that he uses one of those words, that leaves you with like, uh, I don't know what to think about this. He says, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. You're like, oh great, does that mean I'm going to resist until I shed my blood? (laughs) No, he says, you haven't yet resisted to the point of death. Now, there are those who have, and he references them in, in chapter 11, Starting in verse 36, kind of in the middle of verse 36, he says, some people, he's talking about these people of faith, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. And so some that he reads about from from chapter 11, some had given their blood. They had shed their blood. They they had died for their faith. And then we read about Jesus who did indeed die, right? And that's what we read about in verse 2 and 3 of chapter 12. But he says, you, you you, you, uh, you Hebrews, you Jewish Christians, you have not yet died, but you are suffering. Notice he does not just deny their suffering. He doesn't say, just try to explain it away. No, it's not, really, it's not real. No, your suffering is real. And he talks about that towards the end of chapter 10. He says, he, where he, he implies that, you know, you have suffered imprisonment. You have suffered affliction. You have suffered these things. It's real. And so how are we supposed to understand these sufferings of life? For the Christian, how am I to understand suffering? These painful circumstances in the midst of life. And so that is where we begin our text this morning. And so now as we read our text this morning, so as you look at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 4 through 11, what we find is there's one particular word that comes up again and again and again. And what is that word that we see several times in this chapter? Can you tell me? It begins with a D. I heard it somewhere. D. 
Discipline. Yeah, it's the word discipline. And let me just tell you this. So if you're trying to learn how to study your Bible, one of the things you want to do when you're trying to learn how to study your Bible is look for these words that seem important and specifically words that are repeated. Because typically when when a word is repeated, that kind of helps you understand what the passage is about. And if you were to read through these, these verses, verses 4 through 11, you'd see that the word discipline in an English translation comes up 10 different times. So that kind of gives us an idea. Okay, I think this has to do with discipline. Well, what is discipline? And that's what we want to understand this morning. Before we, before we understand how we're supposed to respond to these painful circumstances, what we need to understand is what is discipline? Because the theme of this, of this text here is actually in verse 7. It says, it is for discipline that you have to endure. It is for discipline that you have to endure. Some translations, you might have one that says, endure suffering as discipline. And I like that translation. I think that's kind of the theme of this passage here, is endure your suffering as discipline from God. And so, first of all, what is discipline? Okay, and what I want to do is I want to read this definition that I came to from Hebrews chapter 12, and then we're going to talk about it, okay? So, that's what we're going to do. We're going to read this definition. It's in your handout, if you've got your handout. It's in there, too. But here's what, here's what I think discipline is according to Hebrews chapter 12. Discipline is God's loving and fatherly use of painful circumstances to bring about holiness in the life of His children. It's God's loving and fatherly use of painful circumstances to bring about holiness in the life of His children. Okay, so first of all, discipline is God's use of painful circumstances. I mean, it hurts. And I think if we were to zoom out, and what, is, what does the whole Bible say about the discipline of God? We'd find that it's not just painful circumstances. It's kind of this, the, guy, the Bible gives this picture of God's discipline as this overarching work of God in, in his child rearing of his children, like training up ch- child, a child. Hey, that's, that's what God's discipline is. It's this whole, this whole picture of God training me to be his child. Okay, but here in chapter 12, the author is talking about God's discipline specifically in the context of painful circumstances. And it hurts. I mean, the, the painful circumstances of life are painful. They hurt. Okay, look at verse 11. He says this. He says, for the moment... All discipline, all of it, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. That's what it, it seems painful. Now, that word pleasant there, that's the word for joy. That's what, that's what the Greek word is, is the word for joy. And it doesn't seem joyful, does it? <laughs> These painful circumstances are not, are not joyful. They don't seem joyful. They seem grievous, sorrowful. It hurts. It's not pleasant. It it doesn't seem pleasant. It hurts. It's this emotional pain that throbs in your heart. And this can include something as insignificant and slight as maybe a a, a slight soreness in your body for, for a short time. But I think the word actually seems to suggest more this idea of something that throbs, The pain has continued for long enough that you are in deep emotional pain. 
It hurts deep inside, and it's to the point that it's difficult even to describe to anyone because it just hurts inside. And the author says that we are to understand these painful circumstances as God's discipline. Now, we need to understand something here. Is he trying, I mean, this seems like a negative thing, right? I mean, it's like discipline, uh, painful circumstances. This seems negative. I mean, is, is this, are we supposed to understand, is, why is God allowing these things? Are we supposed to understand that this is God punishing me for some sin that I didn't even know that I did? Or is this God's retaliating for something that I did to him? Or is he evening the score with me? Or is this a sentence for my sin? You sinned, so now get this. Okay, no, none of this can be the case. Because just back in Hebrews chapter 10, a few chapters ago, what the author told us is that Jesus paid the sacrifice for sin once and for all. Our sin has been paid for. It's been atoned for. The balance is canceled. So if you're a Christian this morning, you have zero to pay. Nothing. Sin is paid for. It's been atoned for. The sacrifice was once for all. And so discipline is not God getting back at me for my sin. It is not payment for sin. And I think this is confirmed in the next part of our definition that we see here from Hebrews chapter 12. So discipline is not, it's not just painful circumstances. It is God's loving and fatherly use of those painful circumstances. It's not God's angry and short-tempered use of painful circumstances to get back at me. Instead, what we find here in Hebrews chapter 12 is that the very, I mean, get this, this is important, the very presence of discipline in my life is a sign that God loves me and he accepts me. The very, so look at verse, uh, look at verse five and six. So in verse five and six, um, the author here is quoting Proverbs three, chapter, or chapter three, 11 and 12. And in verse six, he says this, he says, for the Lord disciplines who? The one he loves. And he chastises who? Every son whom he receives. According to Proverbs and Hebrews, discipline is a sign that God loves you. And I think we all understand this, especially the parents in the room, right? Um, if you can imagine this, I was a utter terror as a child. Or if you can imagine that. If you, uh, for, for those of you who know my daughter Jubilee, just take my daughter Jubilee and all of her energy and add to that a sinister desire to wreak havoc. <laughs> and you have me as a kid. <laughs> Um, I was the child, I was the kid who pushed a girl off of the playground because she said that she tagged me, and she did not tag me. <clears throat> I pulled a chair out from under a classmate. I never got to play in recess because I was always in timeout for disobeying. I wrecked a car three different times in high school, and I pocket dialed my mom on accident when I was at my girlfriend's house, who I was not allowed to be dating in the first place. And <clears throat> my mom listened to 15 minutes of me talking to this girl and her family, who I was not supposed to be there. Um, be sure your sin will find you out, right? <laughs> no, but now if my parents did not love me, I mean, if they didn't really care, how would they have responded after each of these events? Probably one of two things, right? 
I mean, either they would have angrily lashed out at me in selfishness, or they would have done absolutely nothing. That's what they would have done. If they did not love me, they would have done absolutely nothing. But they did love me, and I am so thankful that they love me enough to apply painful consequences in response to my disobedience so that I would learn to love good and hate evil. They applied those gentle but grievous consequences because that's what good parents do. And that's what we see here again in Hebrews chapter 12. Because not only is discipline a sign that God loves me, but it is also a sign that I am actually God's child in the first place. So look at, uh, look at verse 7. The second half there, he says, God is treating you as sons. And then look at the next verse. For what son, uh, uh, let's see, or no, this is still verse 7. For what son is there whom the, his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, or in other words, in which all followers of Jesus, anyone who is a follower of Jesus has participated in this. And so if you are left without discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. So if God didn't discipline you, then that would be a sign that you are not his child. But the fact that he does discipline you is a sign that you are his child. You don't discipline kids that are not yours. I'm not going to go into high V this afternoon and on aisle six see a screaming child who is just screaming at his dad. I'm not going to take that child aside, and he's not my child. I'm not going to take him aside and say, all right, now, now kid, I want you to know something. You're not going to be able to have your phone for three weeks, and so forth, and so forth, and so forth. No, I'm not going to do that. Why? Because that's not my kid. I don't discipline kids that aren't mine. And so if you are experiencing the discipline of God, it is a sign that you are a child of God. And yes, believers and unbelievers experience painful circumstances. We all suffer. And that's because we all live in a fallen world that's filled with sin. And so we suffer. But for the unbeliever, suffering is nothing more than the result of living in a fallen world stained by sin. For the Christian, for the follower of Christ... Suffering is a result of living in a fallen world, but it's not just that. It is also a tool that God uses with kindness and gentleness to bring me up as his own child. It's his discipline, his kind and gentle discipline. So Christian, you can be assured this morning that your physically and emotionally painful circumstances are not without purpose. They are a tool in the hand of your kind Father who loves you and wants to see you thrive. God's discipline in your life is, is proof to you that you are a child of God, that you are loved by God. Now, before I move on, I want to acknowledge that for some of you, this concept of God's discipline being a good thing might be hard to comprehend. It might be hard to understand. And it might be hard to understand because it could be that for some of you, 
you did have angry parents who lashed out at you in selfishness. You didn't experience from your earthly parents biblical discipline. You experienced an abuse of discipline. And so it might be very difficult for you to understand how this could be a positive thing. And I think the author of Hebrews recognizes this because he contrasts human discipline with God's discipline. Do you see that in verse 10? He says, For they, speaking about our earthly fathers, our earthly parents, they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. Okay, and it's interesting. If you read in the, in, in the Greek uh, there, the word best is not in there. So it just says, For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed to them. Or as, as it seemed fit to them. This is what they did. And so I think what he's trying to say there, I think what he's implying there is that human parents all fail at some point. I mean, if, you're, if you are a human in the room this morning and you have kids, you fail at some point. Why? Because we sometimes discipline too much. Sometimes we discipline too little. Sometimes we discipline for the wrong reasons. Sometimes we discipline not necessarily for their good, because, but because they're getting on my nerves and it would make life easier if I just discipline them so that they'll stop. Because human parents all fail at some point. And what he is saying here in Hebrews chapter 12 is not that, oh, look, this is how your parents did it so you'd be able to understand how God does it. No, he's saying this is how your parents did it, but God is much different. They disciplined as it seemed to them, but God does it for your good. And so this is God's discipline. God's discipline is a good thing. He does it for our good. It's his loving and fatherly use of these painful circumstances. But then the final part of our definition is that it is his loving and fatherly use of painful circumstances for a purpose. He doesn't discipline us for no reason. He doesn't discipline us just so that we'll do whatever he wants. He's not doing this in anger. He's not saying, oh, there, there, that's, that little child, there he goes again, he's just messing up, he's sinning. Oh yeah, we'll take this. You sin, we'll take some of this. Let's see how this works out for you. No, that's not it at all. God disciplines as a kind and loving father for a purpose. And so what is that purpose? Look at verse 10 again. It says, he disciplines us for our good so that we may share in his holiness. What does it mean to share in his holiness? I think verse 11 kind of clarifies. Um, second half of verse 11. Later, this discipline yields the, the, fruit of pe- the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So we just finished uh, Galatians chapter 5. Uh, we just finished some of the, um, the fruits of the Spirit. That word fruit, it's the same thing. Same word here. It's the fruit, the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Or you could translate it, the fruit of peace and righteousness. God wants to work in us a peace, a real peace that goes deep, that is at rest despite any circumstances in life. He wants to work in us a righteousness that looks like his son. And so Christian, this is what God is doing in your life through your painful circumstances. Think about it right now. What, what difficult and painful circumstances are you experiencing in life? What's grieving you, causing sorrow, such deep emotional pain that words cannot even adequately explain? 
understand this morning that these things are God's loving and kind, gentle, fatherly hand of discipline in your life so that you would grow. God is carefully training you so that you would have life to the fullest extent, so that you would share in his holiness, so that you would look like him. This is God's kind and loving, loving fatherly discipline. Isn't God good? To not just let us go. Isn't it so kind of the Lord to not just let us have what we want in this moment, because we think in this moment this is the best thing for us, when he knows if we get this thing, what's down the road is a painful life of consequences and death. So isn't he good? Even though we, we cringe, even though we say, I don't want this, isn't he good to allow painful circumstances in our life so that he could train us so that ultimately we would be holy, so that we would do right, so that we would enjoy a close relationship with him and experience life. God is so good. And that's the kind and loving fatherly discipline of God in our lives. That's what discipline is. But now, let's talk about how do we respond to discipline? Because I think that's what the author of Hebrews wants us to understand. So first he wants us to understand what it is and appreciate it, but then he wants us to respond rightly to it. And I think when it comes to suffering or painful circumstances and the discipline of God, these have the potential to work in us two different kinds of responses. And I'm going to c- categorize them as a faithless, faithless response and a faithful response. And we see the faithless response first in verse 5. So look at verse 5. He says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. And so when we experience the discipline of God, the temptation, one temptation is to regard it lightly or to think of it as of little value. And I think this, this attitude manifests itself with an anger toward God for letting something difficult happen to me. It's not just a why God question. It is an angry why God question. It's not just wrestling with God in the midst of my suffering. It's wrestling with God in the midst of my suffering with anger and contempt in my heart towards him. I think that's the way this manifests itself. And so think about your own current painful circumstances in life. Think about what's going on, what hurts in your own life. It is not a sin to hurt. It is not a sin to wrestle with your painful circumstances in life. It is not a sin to ask God why. That's not sin. But is there in your heart a heart of contempt towards God because of what he is allowing in your life? Have you allowed your painful circumstances to turn your heart away from God in anger? If so, remember that you are to understand these things as the discipline of a kind and loving, gentle father who cares for your best. So don't regard it lightly. Don't think of it as little value. 
These things in your life are of great value. The other temptation that we see here in verse 5 is to grow weary. And I think what is meant here is weary to the point of being ready to give up. Right? Because long-term suffering just produces in us a weariness. But what, what he's trying to say here is don't give up. Don't allow your painful circumstances to create in you a heart that's like, this is not worth it. No. Jesus is better. Jesus is worth it. You've been freed from your sin. Your sin has been canceled. It's been nailed to the cross. Jesus is better. He offers life that is full. So don't give up. Don't give up in your faith. Just because of these painful circumstances, continue to run the race. Don't give up. And so the first possible response to these painful circumstances is this, this faithless response that wants to regard them, this, these things as, as light. They're not worth anything. They're, it's, it's, not, it's, not worth, it's not worth anything, and, it's, um, and, I, and maybe I just need to give up. Maybe, uh, maybe these things are a sign that, um, you know, maybe I've just been recently uh, experiencing some suffering, and so maybe that's a sign that, that Christianity is not right and the Bible's not true. No, what he's saying is, no, it's actually proof that God is real because he's using these things in your life. So don't respond to these painful circumstances with a faithless response. Respond to discipline with a faithful response. And we see here in Hebrews chapter 12 that painful circumstances have the potential to bring about good in us that words cannot possibly describe depending on our response. Okay, so look at this in verse... um, There are, three verse, there are three phrases that kind of explain to us a faithful response to discipline. The first is in verse 7. We looked at this earlier. It is, it is for discipline that you have to endure. So the first response is just to keep going. Don't give up. Continue in your faith. Don't lose the faith. Don't give up in your faith. Continue to follow Jesus. The second phrase is found in verse 9, where God's discipline is, is contrasted with human discipline. Uh, he says here in verse 9, he says, we, you know, we, we have, we've experienced this discipline from our earthly fathers and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? So subject, it's the word for submit. So what he's trying to tell us is that a faithful response to these painful circumstances in your life is a, is a choice to submit to whatever it is that God wants to do in you through these circumstances. And I think we understand this even better by the last phrase. So, in verse 11, remember this is a verse that says, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. For who? To those who have been trained by it. Or for those who have been trained by God's discipline. That word trained there, it's the word gymnazo. That sounds like gymnasium, right? It's an athletic term for working hard and training hard, working out, working out those muscles. Uh, So a few weeks ago, I joined a soccer team in this Mexican league just as a way to kind of get out in the community and meet people and get some exercise because I need that. And um, three three or I was like three weeks ago or so was that we had this first soccer game, and um, before that. I had not played soccer for a long time. 
and I haven't really been I hadn't really been exercising either. So I'm like not running, not working out, not. So I show up in this uh, uh, to this game, and I'm like, oh, this is gonna be fun. Soccer's great. I love soccer. This is gonna be awesome. And so I show up to this game, and I start playing, and I I am like dying. Like I'm toast. There is no gas in the tank. There is no juice. Whatever idiom you want to come up with, I had none of it. And I was like, <clears throat> I mean, and this was only like 10 minutes into the game. And I'm like, no, 35 minute halves? What? It's <laughs> a long time. I mean, it was, it was hard and I, was di- I felt like I was dying because, why? Well, because I needed some training. I needed some working out. What did I need? I needed to put my body, uh, I, I needed to bring my body into subjection. I needed to work it out. I needed to work hard and, and go for runs and lift weights and do all these things. Why? I needed to do these things so that my body could actually withstand this pressure, so that my body could actually take running this race, so my body could actually uh, not give out when I play. And that's what, that's what he's trying to help us understand here this morning. That's what the discipline of God is, and that's how we are to respond to the discipline of God, by allowing it to work itself out, to be trained by this discipline, so that I experience these painful circumstances, and I ask, rather than just trying to get out of it as quickly as possible, you know, that's our tendency, right? You just want to get out of this suffering as quickly as possible, but rather than just trying to get it out, as quickly as possible, what I should do is I should ask these questions. What might God be trying to teach me through this? What in me does not look like Jesus that God is trying to chisel away in me through this circumstance? What does it look like for me to cling to Jesus right now? And so ask these questions. Seek God in prayer, through meditation, and through wise counsel from godly people. And then submit to whatever it is that God wants to teach you in the midst of your circumstances. Because this is for your good. And as we allow ourselves to be trained by God through our circumstances, and we'll close with this, verse 11 says this, It says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields. Now, that word later is a little bit frustrating, isn't it? Because it, you know why it's frustrating? Because it doesn't say how long later is. Like, okay, so if I just allow myself to be trained by this for three weeks, then everything will get better, right? Well, maybe. Six months, five minutes, It just says later. Later, it will yield these things. Um, I was talking to uh, Mark. Mark and I were talking uh, this past week, and I was asking him about, you know, the connotation that comes up in his mind when he thinks about God's discipline. And he said something that I thought was very profound. He uh, He said, I'm at a point in my life where I understand now that it is a very positive thing. In other words... I'm at a point where I understand I've gone through enough of God's discipline. I've experienced it enough times. I've experienced the pain enough times. But I've also experienced on the other side, I've experienced the end result enough times to understand that this is good. 
Later, it yields. Who knows how long later is? But it does yield to those who have been trained by it. And I think that's what followers of Jesus begin to see over time. I think we begin to see that God's discipline is good because it works something in us that just having pleasurable experiences all the time would never work in me. It works in me a deepness of character and a closeness and dependence on God that pleasant circumstances probably would not do. So this, this is God's good discipline. Appreciate his discipline. It's purposeful, so patiently endure it and allow yourself to be trained by it so that you don't grow weary, but instead experience the result of true peace, real inner peace and righteousness in your life. Let's pray. God, we thank you this morning for your kind hand of discipline. We confess to you that we don't always appreciate it. We confess to you that we often get angry with you for allowing it. But we also thank you that you hold us fast. We thank you that you don't just you don't just listen to our, our pleas to get out as quickly as possible and you, and you give that to us at the moment because you know that what we need is to wait. We thank you that you love us that much. Thank you for your discipline, Lord. We pray that you would give us grace that's needed to respond to this discipline with endurance, with submission, and allowing ourselves to be trained by it so that we could enjoy a close walk with you. We thank you, Lord. Thank you. You are good. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.